I, I want to thank you for coming out on a cold January, Wednesday night. This is always a special crowd because uh, these are the ones that have uh, sold out. And I think this is a time that we're living in that we need to sell out, go all in. And I encourage everybody that I can that, hey, it's a time that if you, you're kind of wondering if this is all real, beneficial, serious, it's real. It's very beneficial. And it's serious. Life is serious. And you see evidence of it yourselves every day. Uh, tonight's subject that I'm going to speak about is contending for the faith. And the passage of scriptures I'm going to be speaking from is in the, in the, found in the book of Jude. And Jude is one of those little books in the Bible that's kind of tucked away in the corner that a lot of people just kind of skip over if you on your way to entering into the challenging study of the book of Revelation, you just jump right over Jude because it's not multiple chapters. It's only 25 verses. But Jude says some things that if you're a serious Bible student, he says some things that just kind of grab you and says, that, uh, is that real? And then you start to wonder, did I see any of that evidence in the other passages, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, because I'm not going to give it away, and I'm not going to talk about everything that Jude says that may be a little bit mind-boggling as far as Christians, but you just need to read it for yourself, because I can't touch all of it in 25, 30 minutes. But what I want to emphasize tonight is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now, you gentlemen that were in men's breakfast the second week of uh, Saturday of this month, this is going to be a, like a little reminder for you. Some of it's going to be old and some of it's going to be new, but I spoke of this subject back then and uh, I shared it with them. And after that, Pastor Stan came to me and just said, hey, I want you to speak on the 26th of January and, and, and will you do it? And I didn't hesitate till after I said yes. <laughs> I should have hesitated. <laughs> I wonder if I'm getting myself into Because I look at this as holy ground. And God forbid I get up here and say or do anything to mislead anyone. Because I, I understand that just reading the Scriptures... If you mislead anyone, that you're going to have to answer to God for misleading people. And that's a little bit what I want to talk about tonight, contending for the faith. So let's just jump right in. Jude, verses 3 and 4, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about your, our common salvation, I was compelled to write you, to you, urgently appealing that you fight strenuously for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The faith that is the sum of Christian belief that was given verbally to believers. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, just as if they were sneaking in by a side door. There are ungodly persons whose condemnation was predicted long ago, 
for they distort the grace of God into decadence and immoral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do whatever they want and deny and disown our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude sets out, he said, I'm going to write about something that's very important, that's primary. And you would agree with me tonight that salvation in the name of Jesus and by his grace is primary. Is that not a primary belief that we have and share in common with every other believer around the globe? It's primary. But Jude said he was impressed as he began to write by the Spirit of God concerning something else that took precedence over what he was about to write about. And that is that we as the church, the believers, because he's He identifies who he's writing to when he says beloved. And if you go back to verse 1, he talks about the called, he talks about the sanctified, the beloved, and he talks about the kept. And it's important to keep those three things in mind, called, sanctified, and kept. It's important to keep those three things in mind because it's going to come to be very important when his subject becomes the apostasy that he warns that it's going to be taking place in the end time. Now, you can get into a lot of discussions about, is this end time and is Jesus coming soon or far away? Well, and I would love to talk to you about it, but I can't predict to you a date. Neither can anyone else. But he is coming for sure, and he, because he said, no man knows the date nor the hour, not even the Son of Man but my father only, he gave us, he said, I will give you indicators. I will give you signs to look for. And when you see these things taking place, he says, look up. Don't look down. Don't look around. He says, look up. Because just as he left, he's coming again. He's coming from up. The last few uh, weeks and months, the messages from, the, from my pastors was talking about the first advent of Christ. What I'm talking about tonight is the second advent of Christ. And I wish we had time where we could get into that, but he is coming. I, can, I don't know the date nor the time, but I see the signs. And he said, look up for your redemption draws nigh. It's getting, it's getting close. Now, I do know that with God, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. It could be the morrow, or it could be 2250. And if it's happened in 2250, it is going to matter to me, but I won't be here. <laughs> it's, it's going it's to matter very much. So he's warning about a falling away, an apostasy. Now, that may be a strange word to some people, but the word apostasy is from the Greek word, which means to fall away. Now, he's not the only one that warns about the falling away. There are some heavy hitters that you may not have ever heard of Jude, but warned of the same thing. And we want to to share with you the first one in Matthew 24, 
25. I'm going to read this real quick from the King James Version. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. So one of the most prevalent things that are going to be taking place in end times is deception. And if you have your eyes and ears open, you know that there's a lot of deception going on. Now, he's, he's going to warn the believers so that when you hear and see deception, you recognize it and take appropriate action. Because that's what's important. And not be deceived. I'll ask you this question. Hypothetically, is it possible for Christians to be deceived? Yes. Because the thing about deception is it takes place and people don't know they're being deceived by the very nature of deception. They're being deceived. And who is the great deceiver? Satan. Satan is. Second witness, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It said, let no man deceive you by any means, for, in that, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, an apostasy. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Okay. That's Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul then writes to the man of God. And in my notes, I, I, I wrote that you can see that Paul is writing to Timothy, but it's actually Paul writing to it, but it ain't Paul that said it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, he says, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. He said, speaking hypocrisy. Boy, is that spirit not abounding. Having that conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry. Now, that's one of the doctrines of demons. Can you think of any belief system that forbid people to get married? And (laughs) just think about it. Which God has created, received with thanksgiving, to them which believe and know the truth. Okay? Peter, in warning the believers, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, let's read that. Bear with me. I'm old-fashioned. I like the old Bible. So it takes me a while to get there. But it's probably because I'm older. <laughs> it's the back of the herd. We move a little slower pace. <laughs> praise, the, praise the Lord. Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets amongst the people, even that there shall be false teachers amongst you. Now, this was written 1,900 years ago. The warning. And this is relevant today as it was then. And he goes on. 
who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious ways, and by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Many shall follow. I wish he hadn't said that. There's another warning. Jesus, and I didn't give this to the notes. There's another warning that Jesus says, also in Matthew 24, verse 12. He said, because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. Now, I, I, I read that and it says, surely not, Jesus. Surely that can't be true. So I went to look up to see what the word love was. Okay, and, and we, we know if, if you're a real good Bible student, you know that there's different types of love. There's eros, which is the romantic type of love. Then you have uh, storge, that's the kind of love that families have with each other. Then you have brotherly love, that's between two brothers. Then you have agape, which we know is the highest form of love, and that's the type of love that comes from above. So in looking up in the concordance, it flips over and looks, and lo and behold, that's the word agape. So now I'm really shook. Because I'm thinking, okay, God's love is the most powerful thing that we can experience, the love of God. And we have it. The scripture says it's been shed abroad in our hearts. And because of lawlessness, people's love will get cold. So, okay, flipped over. What does it mean by waxed? Flip over in the, in, in the concordance, and it looks up wax, and there's the word evaporate. Huh? Evaporate? And cold is cold. So the inference is it was hot. He was passionate about it. But it's because of the iniquity and the lawlessness that we behold with our eyes. It begins to grow cold. This is what I saw in the expression, how the Holy Spirit showed it to me. People here that understand how air condition works. Our condition works, you take a cooler, a refrigerator. Within a system, you have a coils and you have a compressor. And they're all connected together because it's a closed system. Okay? The compressor compresses the cooler. And in the compression, it heats up. Now, when that coolant gets on the other side of the compressor and comes out of that compressor, it goes through the coils. And the cooling takes place. And the air flows across it, and you get cool. So in the evaporation or the expanding of the compressed coolant, the evaporation process, that's when cooling takes place. And God said that's what's happened in people's heart. They were hot. And just because the, uh, the lawlessness that we behold with our eyes, it begins to get cold. Now, he warns us about that. Now, I don't think that Jesus was anxious about anything. But I get a little bit nervous sometimes because he says something else. In the book of, of uh, Luke 18.8, and I don't want to just get up here and just all night just kind of frighten you about what's going on. But if you have your eyes open, you know what's going on. And you can tempt to be frightened. But they sang the songs tonight about us not 
knuckling under to the spirit of fear. We have not been given the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Right? Okay, footnote. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> Stay out of trouble. And this is not a really a laughing matter, but I'm kind of laughing so that I can kind of sell it and soften it up a little bit. I would have never thought that I would see the day that Christians would stay at home because of the fear of death. The virus thing, that's all it is is the spirit of death. They're selling it wholesale. It's simply the spirit of death. And I would tell Christians that stay home because of it, forsaking the assembling of themselves together. But the scripture encourages us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 to do more so assembling yourself together because we see the end coming. We need to get together so that in a corporate group, we receive what a corporate group receives. Now, you can receive it at home. You can get it. I tried Zoom church. It didn't work for me. It didn't work. And my wife is my witness, and God is my witness. I said, when, 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 because the church, and, and we're a well-taught, well-led church. Because the elder said, we're going to shut it down because we want to be obedient to, and we want to protect people from this thing that we don't know about. But I say this, God wasn't surprised. And so we did. And we were sitting at home, and we was watching church on TV, and I just couldn't get into it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just couldn't get into it. I'm just talking about me. I'm a people person, which is totally contrary to my, to my personality. You know, Pastor Jacob always talks about him being an introvert. Me too. I was growing up, I grew up in a, in a little bit of background about myself. I grew up in a family of, of, of nine siblings. It was nine of us. And God positioned me in the middle. I was lost. The young ones got attention. The older ones got attention. The one in the middle, zero. There was times that mom would sit at the table and she just got tired of counting heads. She was when she got a little bit older, she wouldn't even count heads anymore. And I would come home from what I was doing with my, my friends and say, Mom, where's the food? Mom said, you weren't there? <laughs> I said, no, no, I wasn't there. <laughs> and so she would go in and try to give me something to eat. But that was, that was my history. So we're doing church online. Church ain't meant to be done online. <laughs> I love church online. I get it. Some, but that's the way to connect. I get it. You, you got to understand, I'm 67 years old and I'm old-fashioned. Just because I don't like something, don't mean it, it, God didn't ordain it. You get that? So all you online Christians, and, and I'll reach out to you. If I can give you a hug, I'll give you a Hollywood hug. But it ain't the same. <laughs> it ain't the same as just hugging somebody. <laughs> and so, I never thought I'd see the day. And I would tell people, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> you might as well go to church. 
Good night anyway. That's an appointment that you're going to be whether you try to avoid it or not. And you can go hide in a cave all you want, but that appointment you're going to keep unless Jesus comes. That's your only way out. Now, I believe he's coming, but I just don't know when. I see the signs. Apostasy, a falling away. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Paul encourages the the young minister to fight the good fight of faith. And I ask you a question. Is this faith worth fighting for? Yes, it is. Now, I wrote a, it's going to take me about two and a half minutes to, to, to cover this, but bear with me. By faith, we understand God created heaven and earth. By faith, we love God, worship and honor him, and we communicate, commune, and collaborate with him and render to him what is his. By faith, we believe and receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We love, follow him, and witness to others of his saving grace. By faith, we receive the Holy Spirit, whom he sent. We are filled by him, taught by him, led by him, and empowered by him to be the faithful witness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By faith, we honor our father and our mother. By faith, we leave them and are joined to our spouse, man and wife, in holy matrimony. We love and respect one another. We protect one another, provide for one another, and promote one another. And we know each other, if you know what I mean, and out of that knowing comes the godly seed, which is one of the purposes we were married in the first place. By faith, we raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We chasten them when they need it, but we do not provoke them, even though they provoke us. God said, don't do it. (laughs) By faith, we start a business or a career, and we Provide the best product or service as any of our peers. We balance our scales, we swear to our hurt, and we change not. By faith, we love the church, regularly assemble with them, fellowship with them, intercede for them, break bread with them. And when we trespass against each other, we forgive one another. By faith, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We don't cover their spouse, position, or possessions. We don't slander or lie to them. And when we trespass, when they trespass against us, we forgive them. And if we trespass against them, we repent. By faith, we close the naked, feed the poor. We visit the imprisoned and entertain angels. By faith, we give food and drink to our enemies when they're thirsty and hungry. By faith, we remember the widows and offerings in their afflictions. By faith, we humble ourselves to God and resist the devil. And the scripture said he flees. By faith, we lay hands on the sick, see them recover. We cast out devils and tread on serpents and scorpions. Amen? By faith, when our life has run its course, we gather our family and loved ones around. We hand down the faith that we've walked in all our lives, give them instructions of what to do with our body, bless them all, and we give up the ghost. Is that worth fighting for? 
But saints, it's all under assault. Every bit of it. Every bit of it's under assault. Every bit of it. I don't know if you've been tuned in to what is, is being proposed, the different ideologies and the philosophies. But one of the things about when the virus hit, it, it left a lot of time at home and stuff like that. And, and God impressed on me to start looking into some of this stuff. What's going on? I wanted to know, what is this all about? And we've been, by the, the elders of this church, the pastors of this church, Brother Wayne, Brother Jacob, Pastor Austin and stuff, it, it, Pastor Terry, Stan, they've been warning us that this is coming. This is coming. And to prepare yourself. But I think, I, I think a lot of the church was blindsided. Because they were, we were reeling around like drunk people that's been socked in the nose and not knowing what to do. And we should. We should. Did it surprise God? No. No. Did it surprise the enemy? Maybe. I'm convinced Satan doesn't know everything in advance. No. That attribute he doesn't possess. But what he is, is a master manipulator of events. He's master at it. And so what he's began to do is manipulate the events in order to get people in fear. People afraid can be controlled. People that are not afraid of dying, they're hard to handle. Dead man already. What can you do to me? Can't do nothing. Set me free. Go to be with the Lord. That's better. Now, real quickly, I got eight minutes. This is going to be fast. Jude gives six examples of apostates. Three of them corporately, three of them individually. Number one example is is of uh, Israel. Pastor Jacob taught on that about two weeks ago on a Sunday sermon, and it's found in number 16. But the nation of Israel rebelling against God, and even though God had brought them out of Egypt, they perished in the desert. And he answered their prayer because their prayer was, would that we have died in Egypt or in this wilderness? God said, okay, you got your wish. Every one of you is going to die up below the age of Everyone below the age of 20 would live, 20 would live, everyone above that age would die. And they got their wish. They got their prayer. The second one is the fallen angels. Now, you got to look in the Scripture a little bit, but you can find what was the outcome of the fallen angels. That's Lucifer and all the angels. He led in rebellion, and they fell from their place. The third one is Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that can be found in Genesis 19, and you can go read about Sodom and Gomorrah and why they fell which is interesting enough, is, well, you would ask the question, well, but did they have knowledge of God? Now, if they're going to be apostates, they had to have, have the knowledge of God in order to fall away from it, right? You could just deduce from that con- statement that they had to have knowledge in order to fall away from it, okay? The individual examples he gives is Cain, Balaam, and Korah. The pastor Jacob talked about Korah about two weeks ago in his message. But Cain made a mistake. 
A serious mistake. The thing about Cain was, Cain was an ungodly man. How so? Because Cain blasphemed God in that he had tried to approach God on his own merit. Cain had a reputable career. He was a tiller of the ground, right? Cain worshiped God because he bought the first fruit of his effort. But Cain was an apostate because he did not come the way God said to come. God said, only by the shedding of blood is that a remission of sin. Now, this is a strange fact. Abel was a keeper of the flock, which was unusual because they were all vegetarians. So what was that about? You ever thought about that? Balaam. Found in, in the book of Numbers. What was Balaam's era? Balaam's era was the same that Jude talks about. He perverted the grace of God through several ways. And it takes a little bit of study to get into it, but one of them was that he was a prophet of God, so he knew God. And if you don't believe that he did, go look at some of the prophecies he said about Jesus Christ. Black or the Moabites comes to hire him to curse the Israelites because he was afraid of them. Balaam comes to the conclusion because he hears from God and says, I can't do it. Even though I would like to take your gold and silver, I can't do it. Because he makes a profound statement, what God has blessed, no one can curse. Okay? So, but he teaches them a way to get it done. You got to go read it. It's interesting. Korah. Korah stood before the man of God and resisted the authority of God. Korah was a prince of Israel. And he said to Moses, we are just as anointed as you are. Now, I can see the error in that right off the bat. Because if I ever claim to be as anointed as Brother Dwayne, you know that I've fallen off the rock and fallen away. Right? It's, it's, it's just not. I'm standing on holy ground. <laughs> but those are the six examples he gives of apostates. Three minutes. Because I want to respect your time. How can you prepare yourself for the fight and to be effectively as a fighter in, in the Scriptures? Arm yourself with the weapons that God has given you. You can go to Ephesians 6 and you can read about those. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. You know, Jacob's last few weeks have been talking about self-awareness. That's what that's talking about. Be self-aware. And one of the most important things that you can do in examining yourself, he says, examine yourself to see, be, see if you be in the faith. Be doctrinally sound. Know the Word of God. Because it's one of your primary weapons. When Jesus was faced 
with situations where he encountered Satan, what did he do? He quoted the word of God and said, it is written. Now, we get attacked on three fronts. You know what they are, the flesh. We deal with that. The Bible tells us what to do with that. Reckon yourself dead to the flesh because dead people don't respond to anything. I can offend dead people. They don't get offended. I can poke them. They don't get poked. I can set them ablaze. Not a peep. He said, reckon yourself dead to the flesh. When it rears its ugly head, say, nope. Mm -mm. You're not getting what you want. And if you keep rearing your head, we're going on a fast. (laughs) That'll get his attention. (laughs) Because as soon as you start fasting, your body really starts screaming out there. Number two is the world. That's pressure from the world. The world is trying to get us to conform or shut up. What they tell us to do, they say, okay, you can have church, but keep it in, within the, the walls. We can't live our faith just in this building, this sanctuary. Examine yourself. Check yourself out. Hold on to what you know. There's a mystery to, to this faith. Be able to answer people why the hope, why you have a hope of an e- eternal God and an eternal future. Be able to intelligently communicate to them what God has done for you and stand your ground. Hold on to it. Don't let go of it. Because there's a lot of forces that are trying to get us to let it go. You know that Satan cannot take your faith from you. He only gets us to abort it. Case in point. I got 43 seconds. Case in point. Jesus to Peter. He says to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And Jesus told us what he prayed for, that your faith fail not. So what I pray for you and what you pray for me, that when the trials that I'm going through, that my faith don't fail. It'll come through. It's from God. There's no force on earth that can defeat our faith in God. We have to abort it. What I hear people doing is aborting their faith. Because they fail the cup with patience. Let's pray.